and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Katya and Hannah and Monica. How's it going, guys? When was the last time we were all together? Well, we're and still I not, because like- Wayne couldn't be here this time. Well, I feel <laughs> like, like this group, yeah. I feel like I'm just, like, confirming that I'm still alive. I think because the last one I was on an episode was, like, two months ago, at least. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's been so, a minute. The last several weeks has been just two people most weeks. Usually I'm one of them. But then one of those weeks, it wasn't even me. It was Hannah and Wayne. And it's been a while since we've had this many co-hosts on one show just because life happens and life's complicated and slow. And, you know, like that's why we have five people so that we don't have to like have everybody here, you know, most of the time. So so I missed you guys, though. Hey, hey. <laughs> so nice to hear from you. It's so nice to do something that's not grad school all the time. <laughs> you wanted this. You tried over. This. And you know what? I do love it. It was the right decision. But every time but someone says, do you want this? I'm like, yes, but in that specificity, I don't know. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like occasionally I wonder if I'm back of like, am I glad I did a PhD program? And I'm like, in retrospect, yes. At the time, it's complicated. <laughs> like, it's just, I always equate grad school, specifically PhD stuff, to like running a marathon of like, I, I say this having never run a marathon. So and I hate running and anything that equates to something even remotely close. But I imagine that like for a marathon runner, it's not that the actual marathon itself is like a super enjoyable experience it's not like la di da you're sitting on the couch eating pizza but it's like satisfying because it's hard and then once you're done you're like yeah i did a thing and i feel like grad school is like that it's just seven years instead of like a day my favorite part of writing is usually just telling people what i'm writing about it's not writing which is basically what grad school is yeah exactly (laughs) it's telling people that you're writing and then someone's like can i see it and you're like uh let me get back to you in five years it's like all the fun of writing without having to actually publish I just absolutely once whenever we were like doing like a pca conference i didn't really write my paper until like i came on here and i talked about it yeah. and then i like wrote down i this is the first like the, i think maybe it was the first time i willingly listened to an episode of this podcast with me on it i listened back to myself wrote all that down and then like filled in like real you know scholarly quotes to make it like real there are huge chunks of my dissertation that i did that way and it says so like in the acknowledgement section of my dissertation it says that i wrote a lot of it yeah. just you know on this too. show and on this show and on my other show but i just i do want to point out that like in katya's finest dreams when you're like just off the top of your head going you know and the most enjoyable thing that i can possibly think of to fill to fulfill this analogy is sitting on my couch and eating a pizza that was it physical discomfort i just which is, like when you started this, i thought you're gonna be like and it's not like visiting hawaii it's not like you know winning the lottery no it's not like my couch eating a pizza no, because those things, okay the way the lottery doesn't involve effort but going to hawaii doesn't involve effort like i'm trying to think of like the opposite of a marathon is like gotcha <laughs> okay got it okay that, that is enjoyable because it's like who does it like a cheesy pizza and sitting on your couch and you know watching whatever trash television show happens to be fun at the moment or youtube or video games or whatever the hell which to me that is the opposite of a marathon 
fun. Got it. Not the well, most. the most enjoyable activity on planet. I just. I mean, I wasn't even <laughs> judging. I was just like, lead into it, and just everyone, just 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 accept it into your soul that what Katia does to just, unwind. I, yeah, I wasn't even. Ju- I wasn't not your pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, w- I was trying to not judge about it. I was just like, wow, that's that that's her simple pleasure right there. We should say what we're doing because before we get any more ridiculous, what is the topic this week? I believe it's a Hannah chosen topic. Um, kind of it's the uh, everybody chosen topic. Uh, what are we doing? Oh, I have no idea because the topic is just what's on our minds and I'm right. not a mind reader. So you're just going to have like, to tell me what you're thinking. I feel like we need a roulette wheel that we just put topics on the roulette wheel and like. Oh, my it. God. That would be an amazing show if we had to do that one. Day. Oh, let us know yeah, in the comments that. what topics we should talk about. For, oh, my God. It'd be like chat roulette, but they could podcast. That's what, oh, yeah, no, I kinda, oh, no. That would be I mean, it would be a fascinating episode one day to just be like, if hey, we got, you know, we got these 10 suggestions from listeners. We've got, and then I just put it in like a random number spinner and then, and the topic is, you know, cheese. Oh my God. I, don't know. I really want to do that. Okay. Listeners, please comment whatever weird topics. <laughs> and mainly because yeah. I just want an episode that just is titled. Hi, now you can tell what my mental state is. Mainly unhinged and overcaffeinated. We have so we've done this sort of show before, but it's been a it's been a while. Where you know, after we do so many topics in a row, a lot of things fall through the cracks, and it's just like you know, here's some stuff. Here's what we've been up to lately, and we'd like to catch up and like just know general thoughts on the changing world around us. So I guess that's what this is today. You know, right, like little topics that we want to talk about that don't make a full episode. So right, the other right. reason to these. Right. They, it might be, I mean, little, like it might be something personal about just us. It could be talking about like a TV show that we just didn't care enough about to like make a whole episode on politics, whatever's on our mind. Right. It could be like anything, you know, I have no idea, <laughs> like, like, but we've done this before. So I'm looking forward to seeing where we go in the next hour. Well, where if you we want to know what, why I suggested this, it was because I was watching love is blind because I do that apparently. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to talk to someone about this, but no one in this chat watches this. It's just me. I've our been watching over- really bad Minecraft videos. So no, I have not been watching that it's like it's one of the only shows netflix like releases in batches right i know our friends over at sex love lit have done a couple of episodes about it they do enjoy the show so um yeah i do not watch love is blind but we do know that i plan my entire week around the 90 day fiance universe there's a part of me that like i feel like love is blind exists in a space that is almost the opposite of 90 Day Fiance, right? Because yeah. 90 Day Fiance is one of which you are judging people based almost entirely on their physical appearances because a lot of these people are meeting on the internet for the first time and they're specifically looking for people who might be of a certain ethnicity, right? And so it is entirely what happens when you have to actually talk to a human being that doesn't stay a photo. And I also think it's sort of the antithesis of Love is Blind because in Love is Blind, like you you sit down and you watch the show and it's all of these people who are like, I want to meet my soulmate. And you sit down like thinking that love is real and all of these things might work out. 
And when I sit down and watch 90 Day Fiance, I go, fight, do it, do it. (laughs) To be fair, I don't actually, I I will say I I watched the first season of Love is Blind 2020 because I was finishing up my dissertation and I was like, well, this looks like the complete opposite of thought brain things. Let's go. (laughs) And I will say that Lauren and Cameron did make me feel like love existed and like you could fall in love in like days. And they're still married. So I guess they haven't proven me wrong. But like every season since I've been like, oh no oh no <laughs> to be fair i most of the people in the first season i was also like oh no i think oh, one of my friends recently described this show as just like slow motion disaster and that everyone is making decisions that you just can't support so the entire time you're drinking wine and just like but no don't make that choice don't, oh, so I don't would do like it this is what we're saying because so, like, i yeah, yeah i just assumed because i have watched enough of like the little previews have, that pop up i've personally not watched it so being like so, this is too hopeful for it to <laughs> fill the massive black hole in my heart that i'm looking for when i sit down for garbage no it is not like i doubt you will walk away super hopeful. Although I will say the reason, the thing I found interesting about the season is like, I did think Lauren and Karen were cute in like season one, but I was like, okay, like reality TV, this season made me cry. I've never cried at reality TV. Like, because one couple was like, so like, you could tell that they really cared about each other. But they, but the guy made the decision like not to get married to his fiance. Like he said no, but they still loved each other. And I was devastated by like how real it all felt. And like the mom was hugging the girl because they really cared about each other. It was, there was just so much mutual respect. And it like it didn't Aww. belong in the same well, show like, as like the rest. That's like sad in its own way, but also like kind of nice. And it's all oh, adult adulting in an emotionally respectful way. They're still together. Like that? spoiler <laughs> alert. Like they they like they're dating like because like, the show like has this false dichotomy of like you must marry after a month of like dating oh. or walk oh. away from it for like forever and That's, it's like, like it, so horrifyingly yeah. unhealthy thing, like the thing that really gets me about the show i realize now after watching several seasons is that like people are like in a pressure cooker you know like the especially the women i think come on the show because they mm. really want to find someone to get married like, I think overall, the women are of a much higher quality than the men from what you see on camera. Higher, higher quality, um, nicer people, higher quality, cuter, higher quality, just oh, not assholes. What do you, I don't um, know what you mean by that. Like everything. Like, I, I won't judge people's physical appearances, really, but like, like, like they, they, they cast, you know, generally attractive people for, you know, a show called Love is Blind, which like that's, that title is, sure. like, you know, something else. And anyway, but like, like, you know, just there men on a scale often, of I never want to talk to this person again slash they seem like a wonderful human being let's get like let's get coffee it yes. sounds like the women are more on the let's get coffee and the men are more on the middling is that yeah. kind of what you're trying to say yeah and like, there's like a couple of women who like seem pretty irredeemable based on what is filmed but struggle to like name like men I think are good people from the show besides like mm. one or two if like that gives you like any like you know it's reality TV but like I feel like these women are like pressured to like find someone and so they end up dating someone who seems like not interested in them and it's like very obvious or who are just outright jerks like there's one guy from season two who's so terrible that like no one wanted him to come on like the reunion like they like cast the whole cast even like the men even like the other questionable men like refused to interact with him if I understand like the news stories right so like it just feels like more of like what I grew up with you know like with the ring by spring stuff in college and but like on a tv show 
So. And like, I wonder like how much of the, cause you're saying like people are like, especially the guys not coming off well. I wonder how much that's like, I've not seen the show, but I wonder how much that's scripted because what I see like people talking about their experience of dating on the internet, like apps or just dating in their like, especially like thirties, it all just sounds like what you just described. So I kind of wonder if like <laughs> how much that's actually being set, like either through the casting or through like editing decisions they're making or whatever that like they're setting it up to make it just sound like, yes, like like yeah it's a very contrived tv show and like yes they're in a pressure cooker but like none of that sounds unsurprising oh no it's just like i feel like the pressure cooker is is it sounds too normal what i want is a man who like goes to another country and puts a condom on before he goes swimming because he's worried about things going up his pee pee which is I'm sorry. What? an actual plot point of 90 Day Fiance. Yeah, what I want is you someone You want more train who, wrecky people. Yeah. Like, I want someone who is a stripper who then has to come to America and live on their boyfriend's parents' farm and, like, learn how to shovel right. actual shit. Like, right. that, that is my level of, like, I want There's no, yeah, no, no hope for a good oh, life. Yeah. Oh, there, there's dysfunction, but maybe not that not level. Not. But I will say that if you watch the, after the ultra specials where they fall, you follow people a year later, that's where it gets really messy. People actually get married after knowing each other for months. This, yes. Yeah, is wild, people. Oh, I okay, so, so. Each season, two couples have gotten married. The couples from the first season have stayed together. Both couples from the second season got divorced. And so, like, they filmed the after the ultra reunion special, like, before those couples announced they were getting divorced. So, like, at the very end, it, like, seems like the couples are, like, working on their marriage are totally fine. There's like a 10 second tile card that's like, by the way, both couples are getting divorced, but they still believe in love or something, which is funny. And like the third season, which I just finished, two couples also got married and one couple is dating and like made the mature decision not like, to get married. There are more ridiculous things I have seen slash heard of, but oh boy. So oh, yeah, there's people get shows married. that I wanted to point out. There's So the first one is from... Okay, February 15th, the year 2000, the day after Valentine's Day, Fox Broadcasting aired for the first and only, because it was never re-aired, the first first and only um, time, the reality dating show, Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire? Oh, I remember this. I've heard about this. Which was amazing. It was, you know, these women competing in effectively a beauty pageant, I guess, like Miss America style, where there's a talent competition and interviews. And then the winner got to marry this person who was supposed to be a multimillionaire and it turned out that he was a little known comedian who <laughs> was worth two two million dollars but not liquid he had about he had less than a million dollars liquid assets and then she's standing there like a deer in the headlights and they got her married off and it was awful and the show's like so wait, they found it on the show that basically they'd misconstrued who the guy After was getting married well no they told her before and he's worth his material his net worth is two million you know with including seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in liquid assets and you're like wait that's not a multi i mean i guess technically it is and I, she's yeah. just yeah and it's like but anyway you're it's married like, now and <laughs> it's basically like so she the, like the women on the show did not know the that they had no idea who he was it was, it was it like they had a very different expectation of what they were competing for yeah but like you know the and the entire thing and you don't get to see him you have no idea anything about him he is he is shrouded in mystery until like moments before why yeah because you know reality tv and this was the show that made fox decide all right we are no longer going to go do reality tv because this is a bad idea we feel like we're bad people and we don't want to do this anymore and they swore it off in february of 2000 
And then that didn't last because reality TV blew up and everybody else was like, oh, I guess we're doing it again. But because like, because I also want to point out another show Fox had, which is closer to what you're talking about, Hannah, to Love is Blind. There was a show called Married by America, where they got they got like 50 or I can't remember, 50 men and 50 women or 100 men and 100 women. And they basically they had like a whole thing and they had people call in and effectively pair the people up. And then after six weeks, they were they'd be eliminating people. And whoever the remaining couple was at the end of six weeks or the remaining two couples, they got to get married on the, you know, on the bill of Fox. Was it like crowdsourced wedding? Uh huh. And there were relationship experts to to tell you like when you were doing a good job and, you know, and how compatible you are. And like you're and the idea is you're getting to know each other over this engagement period. And they're like, oh, this is a real engagement with all the rules of an actual engagement. It's not fake. And I'm like, what are the rules are of an actual engagement? They never explained that. And it was unwatchable. So I watched every single episode. You didn't get the red. You didn't get the penalty manual when you got engaged, man. Oh, no, this was this show was a train wreck. It was amazing. It was so bad. It was so bad. It was so bad. that So. They after the first episode, there was one network in America, one Fox network that said, no, we're not doing it. We'll, we'll air infomercials. We're not airing any more of these. This is offensive and bad. And it demeans and exploits the institution of marriage. That was WRAZ out of Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Decided they are not that they could not be job, Raleigh Durham. <laughs> they could not be responsible for showing any more of the show. And so like so so Raleigh Durham was like, no, we're not there. But everywhere else in, in America, they wanted to through. watch the train wreck. And yeah, and this is what made me think of it, because they get to the end of it of the show, and on the final episode, there were two couples left, you know, two couples remaining of the ten couples, I think, or whatever, however many couples they started with, there they narrow it down to two. And and then they're like, because they, because the experts are like, for the other ones, are like, you're not in love enough. So, but they like you two. You yeah. guys are in love enough, so you can get married. And then they, is they there do like that. a test? They, you know, it, yeah, you know, when you have a love expert and they can tell, apparently, <laughs> yeah. look at you and you're like, yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so they get there, <laughs> and then in both of those cases, like in both cases, I, I think it was the guys in both times were like, this is probably not a good idea. Maybe we can, one guy was like, can we maybe just date? And then the girl was furious and she walked away with him. And the other guy was like, we're not actually in love, are we? Like, let's not get married. This seems like a, so they were both like both couples just sort of decided not to get married, or at least the husbands of both couples decided let's not get married. And then the show played it off. Like, how dare you leave her at the altar? This is a horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, and the relationship expert, are like furious it's like you led us along you led her along doing and the guy's like I, i'm on a game show and i just met this woman four weeks ago what do you yeah i feel like also the doing? actual like relationship therapists across the nation are just going, heaving a collective, yeah like collective <laughs> sigh of relief even the ones that were watching it just knew viscerally somehow <laughs> yeah but i'll never forget oh, that i just thought of it because it had the hopeful aspect at least they were trying to but really but also the unlimited like aspect well it felt like a train wreck like monica was saying so they so there was one thing that happened that like they were like they try to tempt them to make sure that you're really into the love thing this is how one of the how one of the couples got broken up because the like in week three or four they have bachelor parties and bachelorette parties at the same time and they you know go off and you know and there's strippers and 
you know, and a party and everybody gets drunk. And one of the male fiancés ended up sleeping with one of the strippers. And then the woman fiancé, it's not clear from editing whether she had sex and went to bed or if she just like made out with the guy. But both fiancés like hooked up with their, uh, you know, their, appro- their you know, their, their individual oh, strippers. Stripper. And then the, yeah, and then the, and then they called it off. Like the relationship experts were like, you guys are not in, not into this enough. You know, and they're like, how, how could, you know, you don't, you barely know this person. Yeah. They're like, I barely know her. What are you talking about? <laughs> so this this reminds me of another Netflix show I've not seen, which is also hosted by Nick and Vanessa Lachey, I believe, called The Ultimatum. Which, like, you know how, like, I've not seen this because I just feel like this actually, Monica, might be your thing because I feel like I just couldn't handle this because I don't think there is any hope in this. Like, you know how sometimes people want to get married, like one person in a relationship and the other person's like, not for me or not yet. Mm-hmm. And they and someone gives an ultimatum, like either we get married or we break up. They Netflix like found these couples where like a person wanted to get married and another person, like couple didn't. And they like made them like switch partners and date other people because apparently that's how it worked out for Nick and Vanessa Lachey. And so like they that's have supposed to, to be helpful. Ooh, yeah, I, that sounds yeah. like they're enacting their own trauma for everyone to see I, yeah, yeah. And, and like i haven't watched it but i just i don't i think there's like I'm, a fine line between like you want to watch a train wreck but it can't be so cringe as to just be like painful uh, everyone needs to be unlikable for me to want to watch a train wreck that's the like you know this to happen to good people like mm-hmm. i want this to happen to like no, there's something refreshing about terrible people. I think it's also like people need to, I mean, I think it's also like people need to go, it's like I need to have some reassurance that they know what they're in for. Like, because like some reality TV shows, they don't like fully disclose the premise. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Especially like I feel like earlier reality TV shows, I feel like it it seems like it's, I don't know if there's actually anything prohibiting them from doing that, but there does seem to be less of that now, maybe, question mark. I think think people just know what reality TV is about now, right? Yeah, they like, like, yeah. surprised by it anymore <laughs> yeah I so i also, feel like especially in the really absurd ones like they know like they know what is about to happen to them and it's all like they, they have signed up for what is about to happen whereas i feel like some of the more like not normal exactly but like the less extreme <laughs> ones there's a possibility that like people go in thinking that they're gonna like find their person or you know win a million dollars <laughs> or whatever it is and it's like it. I don't know. It's just like you just were like, what? I just pat them on the head and give them a cookie. I always worried about the Jerry Springer show, which was not a yeah. show, but like when you, if your significant other asks you to go on the Jerry Springer show for whatever reason, why would you do that? It can't, I mean, <laughs> like, like who shows up to the Jerry Springer show? Not clear why they're there. Like if you're in the soundproof booth, there's nothing good for you outside the soundproof booth, right? Like once they bring, once you bring it, they bring you out onto the stage. Something has gone horribly wrong. Like the best you can possibly hope for is that your significant other is like transitioning gender. That's the best case scenario, right? Like everything else is I'm cheating on you with your brother. Like literally I've never seen any episode where, you know, where it's like, you're about to have a good time on this show. Yeah, that your you life is about to look, if you're on the Jerry Springer show or similar, your life is going to look viscerally different. Most likely right. after the next two hours. Right. And, and like, but like, why? why would you go there? Of 
you go because I mean, one, because it's going to happen either way. Right. And wouldn't you uh-huh. rather be paid money or humiliate no. your significant other <laughs> if the bad thing is going to happen? I'm not saying that's what I would want, but I'm saying <laughs> that I think that's why people willingly get into those scenarios as they feel like there should at least be some form of compensation for their life. Like coming do they go on the show like also are they fully actually blindsided on the show like presumably like presumably if you know you're going in the jury springer show you you know something's going on something's gonna go down already messy in which you're not quite sure who the father of your children is yes like i mean anyone actually surprised by what like it's also just assuming from like i mean i don't know how booking this kind of stuff works monica actually you might know more than i do i do actually if we would like to tea i have a friend who presumably there has to i mean there has to be some kind of like contract negotiation of you going on that show and it's like so i don't i imagine there's like some things they can do to like disclose the topic that you're gonna be on say like the jerry springer show for but like don't they have to kind of explain somewhat what's gonna happen so i I have a friend who does a lot of gig work because she's a dancer in LA and in between sort of auditions she will also pick up other background extra work that sort of thing one of the jobs that she has picked up is as a seat filler for the type of daytime reality shows that we are currently talking about so something along the lines of Judge Judy Steve Harvey not quite as bad as Jerry Springer because they we filmed Jerry Springer somewhere like on the East Coast, not in L.A. Yes, it's a show like Ellen, where you know that you're going to get something for free. Most of those audience members are people where the tickets are free. You sign up for a wait list. You're just like really happy to be there. Shows that are purposefully meant to be shit shows, a lot of times they are hiring actors to be the people who are yelling mm-hmm. at each other. And they are hiring actors to sit in the audience. So there is at least some level of manufacture and manipulation happening at all times. That being said, I'm sure that some of these people who end up on these shows like are legitimately doing it because they want money. They want revenge. Like they are real people whose lives are already a little bit messy, etc. But it is one in which because we are talking about like the legality of disclosure Some of this is actually just actors and it's all just made up. And Mm -hmm. that was always my assumption about a lot of those too. Yeah. Is that like some of the stories might be real, but the people on screen aren't necessarily. I know. So sometimes it can be real. Like you can do arbitration. So it's real ish. I mean, I guess like the the idea of what's real in a reality show is always questionable, right? Like, right. It's well, yeah. Even when it's technically real people doing real things, it's like contrived. And it's like, well, right. What do you think of the subject of my dissertation for? What do you mean when you say reality? Yes. Yes. So this is not what I thought we'd end up talking about, honestly, well, even though. What, what did you think we were going to talk about? Ed? I feel like something that is probably on at least three or four of our lists, if not all four of our lists. Is politics I, or Twitter? I was going to say Twitter, <laughs> which is related. They're it is related to, to the idea of what is real, right? <laughs> if what is real? If anybody can get a blue check mark, politics now? what is real? Oh, my God. Okay, that story. <laughs> okay. 
I was gonna say, what do we want to start with? <laughs> How do we, do can, we, can we start with the fact that like Elon Musk fired the entire accessibility staff on Twitter? I mean, oh, he, that, he, well, he fired the least of it. The staff, period. Yeah. Oh, no, he totally. fired. He fired legal. Yeah, which still blows my mind. Yeah, he he also like 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 so like the accessibility staff and many other like as you're alluding to many other departments got yes. fired. Like which the people also, who do the complicated stuff. And yes. so, like a bunch of news articles reached out, and Twitter didn't have a communications department. That's so, right; like, they had no communications team because they fired no, them. My favorite is also they. Okay, I am not an engineer, but I found engineers quite a lot. And, right, I was going to say, and that, so like they fired a lot of their engineers. And the thing <laughs> that is horrifying, which led to my favorite thing that is a little bit nerdy, but and then we can talk about the more interesting stuff. But like when Twitter is basically like a, any website that is as old as Twitter is, is a shambling behemoth of code that may or may not work right. And that's you correct. have to look at it right and smack it on the side until the thing that's rattling stops rattling. That is correct. That's and that, that, they that just, is how not even just websites. That is how code works. Yes. Right. <laughs> and they just got rid of a lot of the people that know how to make it stop rattling. Uh-huh. Yep. And then the rest of them that are left are probably going to leave if they haven't oh, already because of how much yeah, show it is. Yes. Oh, m- also, don't forget about the working conditions because and this led to and 80 hour work weeks. And yes. this is and the reason I bring this up is because I, I was watching like and of course because the internet knows what I enjoy. I was basically watching on TikTok for like hours last night. All of these engineers basically collectively. None of them were Twitter engineers. I think all the Twitter engineers were I don't want to be sued. But all the ones I saw were basically other engineers that were just like that's bad. That's really bad. Yeah, he is objectively a moron. And like that's and I like I say that lightly sometimes i'm not here i'm not making fun of him he is in serious trouble he clearly has no clue what i mean he has no clue what he was doing the deal in the first place was a stupid idea but and um, mostly started i still like I, I still agree with the it started as a publicity stunt and then went off the rail it wasn't even a publicity stunt like calling it a publicity stunt was is well, generous it was a childish, I dare you. Like, like, <laughs> like, so, so basically, he wanted to buy more stock. They told him no. He was like, well, I bet you I could offer you enough money to where you'd say yes. And they're like, no, it's not. And they said, well, what if I gave you, if I gave you $44 billion, you'd say yes. And they said, 44, they said $44 billion, huh? And they called their lawyers and they're like, is that legally binding? And then lawyers are like, yep. And he's like, okay, sold. And he's like, what? But, and that's why he's tried to get out of it for the last f- six months. He's been trying to back out of this because it's like a $4 billion company that like he yeah. offered that he paid 10 times the value Which, for. And, and then he's struggling to maintain revenue for a right, while. For a while. So like, so they were like, well, you're offering how much? Oh, you're insane. But sure, we'll take your money, crazy man. And then they forced him to buy it because he entered a legally binding contract without meaning to because he's an idiot. And then like <laughs> now, so like I'm just watching, like I, I know enough, you know, I follow lots of people on the internet. We've talked about this before. People that I don't necessarily care for, but that I, I like knowing, you know, in order to be a cultural theorist of the 20th and 21st century, I like knowing what people in the 20th and 21st century are thinking. So I'll watch people who are awful and just watch. Watching his fanboys 
say, yeah, look at this. He's he's having the Tesla engineers double check the Twitter code. Then that'll show him. And I'm like, it doesn't show them. He had no one else. He had to get people from his other company because he fired. Who also don't necessarily like, even if it's in the same coding language, whatever, doesn't mean that they know how Twitter works. They don't. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's actually really bad. They don't know. Like (laughs) engineers are not like, like, I think it's really like, like, I think a lot of people just assume that engineers are like, if you are an engineer, like a software engineer, you do all (laughs) software. It's not really like, could you learn it? Sure. Do you have the base level of expertise? Yes. It's as though Is you a engineer and a Twitter engineer right. mutually exchangeable on the fly. No, it's like you needed dental surgery and you're like, oh, but I don't like my dentist. So I'm firing him. And I don't know. Here's a gynecologist. She'll do. I, <laughs> no, they're not related. I mean, yes, they are technically. Like, yeah, like, sure, kind of, like, <laughs> but, and, I mean, so we've talked about this on this show, right? Like theoretically, Hannah, Katya and I all have the exact same degree. Theoretically. However, in practice, <laughs> in practice we do three entirely different things. And that's including the fact that like, well, like Hannah yeah, and, and Katya literally different. went to the same school. And like for our masters, Katya and I literally went to the same school and we're still not exchangeable. I don't know what you guys yeah, are. We about. Could not, <laughs> yeah, like we have we are in the same profession in the sense that there is like some, yeah. we have read the same foundational text in the yeah, same way that most engineers have taken yeah. like code 101 and yeah, have a 25 years ago. Python. <laughs> right. right then, yeah. But once you get down, like basically also like once you get to the point of like good at your job, that you are indispensable in the way that people that know how to make Twitter stop rattling are you. That's not replaceable you can't even hire for that because it's basically like they know where duct tape and the gum holding the code (laughs) together is i love that i I love your i mean that's not it's not inaccurate but it's a metaphor (laughs) i just prefer to believe that way yes no i mean I grew up in a household of engineers, like, yeah, electrical and mechanical engineers. Yes. And then also, like, what my dad was involved in startups when I was a kid. Right. Like, <laughs> I am intimately aware. Yes. I just, I just, what, I just like, prefer to believe that you think that there's actually gum in the code, like literal. Oh, chewing yeah, gum. totally. <laughs> I also want to bring up just the idea of, like, so I have studied this idea of, like, the history of chemical engineering. And it mm-hmm. blows my mind that originally you didn't have to take any chemistry classes because it was all just based on efficiency so yes, if we are continuing to apply that to this idea of like what is engineering and what does that mean mm-hmm. like does that just and the idea that like ah any engineer will do no no yeah they won't yeah that's literally well, why we have so many chemical explosions is because we hired a bunch of chemical engineers that never took chemistry well yeah. chemistry so yeah the, the, that's exactly what's happening here he was just like well i have tesla engineers did i like and trust he doesn't understand that the tesla people don't like him either (laughs) but 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 like he just like yeah inspect their code and they're like all right i guess this appears to compile you know like that's how much that's how much work they put into it and then stuff started breaking the second he you know because we haven't even gotten to his actual decisions yet you know this is just his base mentality of taking over the company yeah, just basically, flawed. like, he is, as a businessman, absolutely eating it right now. Yes. He- <laughs> Don't bring up anecdotally. Mm-hmm. So my husband, and I'm going to out him a little bit, he loves Elon Musk because they share oh, really? a similar uh. sense of humor. And okay. now that does not uh. mean that he, like, necessarily <laughs> thinks that he is 
smart or every one of his decisions <laughs> is good. Let's put that more as okay. he likes his tweets, right? That's not the he same is, thing uh, as liking mm, a person. But maybe he funny acknowledge tweets, right? Elon, Elon is objectively good at Twitter yes. in the exact same way as Donald Trump is objectively good at Twitter. I don't yes. want either of them in charge of anything. If they like, they can just, if they just take over. Yeah. And just if you made them into court insult. jesters yes. and put little yes. diddly palms on their heads, I would absolutely have right. accept that. Right. Oh, Right. I think he's my husband sometimes operates his life a little bit like he is making Elon Musk type decisions. And this week he did two of those things. <laughs> so many questions. The first one was he went to the bank and he enjoys uh, yes, he taking this. out $2 bills as as like tip money, as money to give his little cousins for the holidays. And he thought mm-hmm. to himself, huh, I wonder how many $2 bills the bank actually has. And so he went to the bank and he said, yeah, I will take all of your $2 bills. One, to just figure out if that was something that they would let him do. And number two, to figure out what that quantity actually equals. And now we own $314 in $2 bills. We can't use those in our vending machine to buy a goddamn thing because they will get rejected. Right. You Every know, I fear that we go to is like, I don't know if I can accept this as legal I tender. It. I respect yeah. it. I'm sorry. <laughs> there is this on so like many levels. And and also, but there is also something about that is very much like Elon Musk <laughs> buying Twitter, which yeah. is like, no, it absolutely funny, is. But, but what now? Like now we are yeah. stuck with this giant stack of non-functional, like garbage <laughs> monopoly money. It, actually, I feel like that anecdote is like the best metaphor for everything that is wrong with Elon Musk. It just cost, the other it just thing it cost that my husband did this week. Not $44 billion, right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it, at that scale, it's annoying but whimsical and entertaining. Oh, yeah. When yes. you get exactly. to dealing with a social media site that has massive influence over politics, it's now, oh God, why? And that is exactly my point of like, it's kind of funny and cute, but only when you keep it at the kind of funny and cute scale. So my husband also did another kind of Elon Musky thing this week, which was with much larger, worse consequences. He found a website that auctions off just parcels of land within California. And he accidentally bet on and purchased a piece of land that was like $8,000 that is not accessible by a road. (laughs) And so now we are on the hook for an $8,000 piece of land because he was like, oh, haha, funny. In awesome. the same way that Elon Musk is like, oh, I mean, ha, that's ha, all funny. what happens when I say dollars buy it now? And then he accidentally <laughs> fucking buys it now. Like, <laughs> I feel like oh. this is absolutely the, yeah. the, like, the idea of why we shouldn't just allow Elon Musk to enable a bunch of people thinking that like their cute little anecdotes are adorable because they have real world, real economic consequences. And now, in which now I own a giant useless piece of land. Can I say two things? Which is yep. one first. Thank you for telling a story that made me feel better about 
last weekend <laughs> when I went to go buy a vacuum cleaner and Josh, for whatever reason, let me do the talking. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we have a very shiny new vacuum cleaner that absolutely vacuums up the pet hair. It's great. It's like the cleanest our house has ever been. I'm very excited. Yeah. I spent way too much money on the vacuum cleaner. Okay. I did. That's it. That's it. I just spent way too much money on a vacuum cleaner. Like I, yeah. I had the, like it, I had a model put out that was like, a good one, but like it was like, you know, a budget one, but I got talked into this shiny new canister one. And like, honestly, it's great for the stairs. And it's like, but is it uh, inaccessible by road? That's the thing is, (laughs) yours has a purpose at the end of the day. (laughs) Yes. Mine, he was like, we can go camping on it. And I was like, we can't even get to it. We can't even (laughs) hike there. You own a fucking Tesla, which we absolutely cannot drive off-roading. Thank you, Elon Musk. (gasps) So so, so, secondly, I want to do a bit of a non-sexual sequitur that like loops back around to Twitter, I promise, which is a few months ago, Katya suggested I read this book called Design Justice. Mm-hmm. And I learned that the origins of Twitter aren't exactly a story of like, Jack Dorsey being like a genius. But, like, there was an activist group who used SMS text messages back in the day to like organize protests on like a much smaller scale. And it was like originally called TXT Mob. And like, I'll save the full story for the book. You can actually download it for free. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's really good. Like, Dr. Costanza Shock is yes. amazing. Yeah, Highly they're wonderful. Like, the, they write so clearly. And it, even though it's like an academic book, it's really good. So, it, yeah, dense, but fairly accessible. Put it that yeah. way. And so, the, the point that like Cassandra Shock is making is like, there, there's this whole like activist narrative to Twitter. And like, even though like Twitter is different than like, txt text mob like it you know like there were these like activist origins within it and a lot of people on twitter that i've been following have been like kind of like preemptively mourning twitter's downfall like talking about like how like twitter amplified the messages of like black lives matter i certainly know like unions including Mm -hmm. duke graduate students union amplified their message a lot via twitter i've learned about protests via twitter like a lot of like activists use twitter in fact you know like disabled activists like and disabled people like that's how some of them literally form communities and like i've seen like you know friends i know in like publishing talk about how like literary journals might also like disappear particularly like some of those like more like social justice events because like of how they communicate with their audiences and so this is all to say i think that like that activist potential has never been lost in twitter even if like some people have like said that you know social media is a rot and like disinformation i mean of course disinformation is bad but like if you know how to use twitter you can actually like learn a lot of information that people aren't otherwise telling you like things about like covid19 like even though like things are being published in like journals like nature that you should absolutely mask with good masks and like air filtration is important depending on where you live and like what you listen to you might think that the pandemic is over and that's a quote from like president biden so like on 60 minutes like a couple months ago so you know there's like this other activity side to twitter which i think actually ended up being a re like a reason that elon musk is failing at taking over twitter in certain ways because like there is this potential for like self-organization and that played out with the new twitter verification system this past yeah yes like that's i think it's also like the things that elon musk is trying to do like twitter is probably one of the worst platforms because basically all of the reasonable users not all but actually many reasonable users are 
fleeing Twitter. The people that are left are people that want to watch the trash fire or are trolling Twitter itself or believe in Elon Musk's plan. That seems to be the three. I would push back a little bit because there's also people who need it and are unaware Mm -hmm. and so 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 it's weird because he doesn't understand fundamentally elon doesn't understand that the benefit of the twitter the thing that people liked about it was not the blue check marks right like he got into it because he is very good at being a troll and he wanted to control the thing where he is good at it and that's it but like the fundamental usage of twitter because i've been having this argument a lot this week where people are like oh well nobody's even using it anymore that's not true Twitter's I am got, using it. It's just right. like, yeah. Well, but just there are people who need it for non-trolly broadcasting things that are more or less invisible to Elon because he's not paying attention. So, for instance, on my other show, my co-host there, Anna and Andrew, they run the Sequential Scholars Twitter feed. It's a digital humanities project that they run. And I was the guest scholar for them last week. And I wrote a couple of things for them where they're doing actual scholarship that normally people would never read because who the fuck reads academic journals on comic book on comics besides, you know, me and Monica and sometimes Wayne, right? Like that's literally your audience is really tiny if you're trying to publish two traditional academic outlets. But if you can put it on Twitter, not that Sequential Scholars has a huge audience, but it's got a huge like like this show. It's got a it's got a bigger audience than like a normal thing that I would write academic have. And that's important. Similarly, you have, you know, black Twitter, right? Like which is really important and useful for organization. Elon's entirely unaware of it. And you've got like the entire rebellion movement in Iran right now, which is really important, is totally reliant on Twitter existing. So no wonder, but like he's unaware of those things and he's going to tank them because of his nonsense. So that's the I guess Mm -hmm. I was thinking more about the three groups that were involved that are involved in the current shit show rather than like all of Twitter. Because right, who like, are getting affected by it is like happening on like that is happening on a I feel like a different Twitter verse. Mm-hmm. That's a strange word. It's, Almost it's entirely, servers, but he it's the same servers, yeah. but there, there's no interact. There's no interaction, right? Like like any, all the people who are using like academic Twitter, they're not involved in this, but they're scared shitless because he's going to take the platform that we, that they need. You know, like we need it. It's really weird, right? So I mean, I is he going to like? I guess that's one of the things I'm interested in. Is it's like is he going like basically because there's some people who are basically like this is the end of Twitter full stop it is going to disappear sometime um, I don't think so I think it'll go, the, I think I think, I think it will declare bankruptcy and he'll lose it I think he I think yeah, th- that's him. my assumption is that basically he will run the company to the ground someone will buy it for pennies on the dollar and mm-hmm. then they will re- rebuild it into a slightly different version of what existed before albeit having lost I mean I think the biggest problem for whoever ends up with Twitter is going to be a lot of trust in the platform will have evaporated yes. like yes. we're not going back to pre-Elon Musk acquiring Twitter days. Right. That's, that is correct. That's I mean, kind frankly, of the problem. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, frankly, like Twitter was, in my opinion, the best social media platform for like, I'm not saying they were great, not holding Jack Dorsey up as a hero. Holding anyone <laughs> up as a hero. I want to make that very clear. But to some degree, they cared enough to like eventually ban people like Trump. Like to some degree, they cared. Also, yeah, their accessibility there was effort. team. Effort was made. Yeah. Their accessibility team came up with some really good stuff recently, including like if you can set a notification to remind yourself that if you post an image, it reminds you to fill in alt text if you don't do that before you post. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a small thing, but that makes the platform more accessible for people. And like, 
I've seen a lot of like people with disabilities and people with like access accessibility expertise, like with web design, talk about like how like some like social media platforms are like dumpster fires compared to Twitter. Like for instance, mm-hmm. like Discord has a lot of accessibility problems. Like they have like people working on access, and Discord has improved since like it started, but like. There also just isn't a comparable platform to the, like, I mm-hmm. use Twitter in very specific ways. Like, I follow a lot of academics. Most of them are not in my field. Like, I follow, like, people in STEM who, like, work on things I'm just interested in reading about. They tweet out stuff for free. I get to learn from them. I follow, like, mm-hmm. a lot of disability, like, activists. I learn all about that for free. Right. I follow, like, union activists all across the country. I'm learning about different union Yeah, movements. that's how I used to get, well, like, that's how I used to get most of my union news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's actually a great example for like why it's so important is it's like when we were running a union like we couldn't afford to like that like that was the way we could afford to contact people right. basically well, same, yeah, and yeah. Same, same thing with like i said the like like underground movements so things like again black twitter which is not an underground movement it's just a it's just a subculture but mm-hmm. it's a subculture that can have a global town square because the platform is there and it and the platform needs to exist in something now do it does it need to be twitter honestly no because i mean i'm older than you guys but like before twitter there was usenet right mm-hmm. twitter is the most democratized version since usenet probably second best is facebook which you know facebook's weird because people are like hey you know nobody uses facebook anymore that's not true facebook has 3 billion users that's down yeah. from 4 billion but it's still the largest social network on the planet. And that's like active users. Twitter has probably half a, half a billion active users. It's like it, comparatively, yeah. it's not the same. Yeah. It, so it's, depends, it, it also depends on like what groups different. you're trying to reach. Right, right. Yeah. And that's exactly what's exactly a point. Like you need something. It's harder to be. Facebook is used a different way. Mm. Even like in the old days, live journals used a different way. Usenet was used. The, the power of Twitter was in accidental discovery, which is mm-hmm. actually really useful. If you want to have a democratized <laughs> random experience, it worked really well, like a in the academic sense, a rhetorical town square, a public forum TM, right? Like it like in the public sphere, that's what Twitter did. And it was what was theorized as the future of communication by McLuhan in like 1968, <laughs> you know, is what Twitter became. And that's important. I think Twitter made me a better person, weirdly. I know that a lot of people say that like social media has ruined our personal relationships and like it'll be great for us if like Twitter is ruined forever. The reason why I'm holding out, the reason why I'm holding out is because I think it has made me a better person and a safer person because I don't think I would know as much about long COVID, for instance, if I didn't follow so many people who Mm -hmm. are suffering from long COVID and epidemiologists like that, like Twitter is like the gathering space for a lot of people who like right. are you know, who have, have who like have long covid specifically to you know name a like a use group of like people elon musk is like not thinking about and um, honestly i don't think he would care if he thought about right. them. And, and like i you know i follow like like i don't like necessarily participate in the conversations but like oh i follow like different people from all around the world and like learn about things and experiences 
through Twitter. And I even like, I think even on the show, there are examples that you could pull if you like went back through the archive where I said, oh, you know, like I like was following this person and here's this tweet and here's this thing I haven't thought of before. And it, it like has shaped my thinking. And like, I hear the Twitter voices in my head when I make decisions about things. Like I follow things about like accessibility, like like there's a Twitter handle that I can find that like tweets out like, you know, small tips about how to make things more accessible, accessibility awareness. Like here's how I write good alt text, by the way. Here's like some things you don't need to do, like say image of something because the screen reader will identify that as an image. But mm -hmm. you can also provide this context by saying things like, it's like a photo like that can help provide helpful context, but you don't need to just say like plain old image, you know? So I've learned a lot about how to like make my own content more accessible by just following an account and like checking Twitter like a couple times a day. It's like not necessarily the most mag magnitudinal shift, but like it's something that's like changed how I do my work. Mm -hmm. Well, and then as someone who is increasingly less online, that's a weird tiny mm -hmm. double negative. Anyway, yeah, like I'm not happy about like the quote unquote downfall of Twitter because it's like I like even though I'm I have not been active on Twitter for like a long time because I find it exhausting like I yeah like it has value I mean and like my thing is always like as one of one of the digital media people on this episode I don't know why I'm doing this voice but we're what we're doing like I think one of the things that's complicated about stuff like Twitter I think especially when they're dealing with the volatile stuff like it's currently happening with Elon Musk is like you're dealing with a company that is also a media technology because mm -hmm. like like it's not the way it's because it's different than say like radio or television because like there's multiple television providers there's multiple radio stations if a single radio station goes under because an Elon Musk decides to drive into the ground like there's other radio the mm -hmm. utility of the technology doesn't disappear that's right. not really true with social media because of something Mav mentioned earlier of like the way that the sites are built kind of it's like shapes, yeah. yeah kind of shapes mm -hmm. their uses and there's not really another Twitter in the same way that there's not really another right. Facebook or another Instagram or another TikTok. Right. And they and, and, like, and every time somebody tries, they fail, right? Like the so like yeah. Facebook or Instagram's whole thing when they were like, oh, we're it's all gonna be about reels now. Cause then like stop trying to be TikTok. No, no one wants that. The TikTok yeah, TikTok. No one wants that. that. And like you, mm -hmm. yeah, do the thing that you're good at. And but and mm -hmm. I think that the challenging thing though is that like when a company, so like with other media technologies we've had previously in history, if a company goes under, that technology is still around. Whereas mm -hmm. that's not it's not like the technology disappears exactly. But like there isn't really something there's not a competitor to Twitter that could do what right. Twitter like that do, can do what Twitter does. Right. And Mastodon's like trying right now. So the new thing is Mastodon, which is trying, but it's which, isn't but it like, more like Discord? When I, like, yeah, when I was no, like, yeah, it's it's more like Discord than Twitter to me. But it's yeah, it's I mean, it's a clever idea. It works like Twitter, but it is but they're individual servers so that it ends up being decentralized so that if like nobody owns it, it's a platform of interconnected servers. So like no matter what server I'm on and I'm on two of them, you can follow me and there's nothing there. So like I, so I'm not announcing my Twitter, my Mastodon handle right now. But I mean, you can guess it if you can find me on the server because it's but Chris can Mastodon. you see people on other servers? Yes. Yes. Ah, okay. But they, but they live on their server, but you can subscribe to them on your server. So I see, like, I see. There's a point to it. It's a good idea. But like the user base right now is infinitesimal. So yeah. is, is it gonna is it gonna work? We don't know. And probably there should have been a competitor to Twitter, to, you know, ready to take that spot. 
but there wasn't right like so 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 there's that dorsey is trying to do his own thing his own version which i think blue sky or something like that's not ready yet but but in all honesty the two closest things to what twitter is are parlor and truth social both of which are even more problematic right and by the way i'm on both parlor and truth social because again i'm a crazy person who needs to watch everything but like Truth Social, certainly no one wants to be on Donald Trump's you know service. But it's exactly a Twitter clone. That's exactly what it is. It's just trying to be Twitter. So like the technology still exists. It can be copied, right? Because I mean, hell, Trump did it. But it's like yeah, it's like no longer about yeah. It's like it's not. I think we're about to say the same thing. It's like it's not about the technology. It's about what the platform allows you to do. And there's right. no other platform that like there's no other because platform. the user base matters. Yeah, the user base yeah. matters. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the other thing that's also like weird when a technology and a company kind of become almost synonymous, or at least the value of the technology, I should say, is like so social media companies while being quite successful as companies, they're really difficult to kind of maintain revenue other than, I mean, advertising, which is one of the reasons why all of Elon, like not all, but many of Elon, like like Twitter's advertisers leaving because of Elon Musk mm-hmm. shenanigans is a huge deal. But like social media companies like always kind of struggle to some extent with revenue because like the thing that they're selling isn't, you're not buying you're selling users, right? Yeah, you're selling users and then yeah, yeah, it's like you're basically or like, yeah, or ads of basically you are just by virtue of using the thing that you actually want to use exposed to what they're selling. Right. Which which is just a, a really complicated and kind of precarious business model. But so we want a new business model, right? Yeah. Because that's no. inherently what television is also. So even though yeah, it's, but television it's works narratively though, structured right? around. Yeah, but you I can mean, also I monetize like by paying for like, like, I mean, we do with cable, like cable is like we have cable pa- where you pay for subscription packages and there's revenue that comes in that way. Yeah. Or you can all or if you have like government or like public channels, like your tax revenue goes towards there, things like that. So there's like the thing that maintains it, like is at least in part outside of not just advertising. The point that I'm getting at is, is one that Mav, I think that you started to bring in earlier, which is this idea of like public humanities and accessibility and the point of right. that's what made TV so revolutionary, right? Was the, the ability for everyone to sort of have exposure to these things. And that's also the thing that originally made Twitter special and the thing that McLuhan literally predicted. Right. Um, and, but it's also the thing that like decentralizing knowledge is in itself inherently really important, even though it mm-hmm. leads to misinformation. The idea that we are no longer like gatekeeping who can learn and who can mm-hmm. teach is still something that within like our discussions of public history, within our discussions of social change and activism and like is all a necessary step in which you kind of can't have one without the other. There will always be misinformation as you also give more agency to other groups. And there is a sense in like, that is just naturally what is going mm-hmm. to happen. The more information is out and, there. And there is a sense of like, especially in digital humanities, like that, that matters. That is important. So what if information no longer looks like academic language isn't that right. great like isn't yeah. it great that other people can read it and understand it and can now 
do their own things with it that they couldn't do with mm-hmm. it before. And I think that's also sort of the like, Katya, what you're getting at in terms of if there is only this one space that is known for being like the centralized, I guess, almost database of digital humanities and of learning and Twitter being this place that originally was the only part of the internet that the Library of Congress was archiving in its entirety, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is something of like, it's a bigger problem, this idea Mm -hmm. that we are losing this database, right? And I I also want to jump in here and just like, I I think there's something that, that there's something that is irritated me for a very long time and how we talk about social media platforms, especially since the Donald Trump era and the reason I hate the term fake news is because journalists in the rise of Donald Trump and politics kept talking about fake news like it was a new thing. It's not. And no. it's also and I think it's really important to like constantly remind ourselves it's not new because even like, yes, like exactly what you're saying, like like democratizing like knowledge and decentralizing knowledge does increase risk of misinformation, but it doesn't. It's not the sole origin of misinformation. Right. And I think that's something that's really important because I think a lot of times, especially in like media narratives, when I see they talk about this, they talk talk about social media and they talk about the, this democratization as if this created misinformation. Right. It doesn't. Like, like propaganda? Yes. Yellow journalism yeah. scare was 100 years ago and it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, misinformation actually historically, mo- like most misinformation comes from government comes mm-hmm. from yes. reliable sources. And I think that's like what's so important about like Monica, like the, the potential that you're highlighting is it's like, it's not just like, yes, does Twitter make it easier to amplify misinformation? Absolutely. It also makes it easier to counter misinformation because you can see other kinds of sources. I mean, that's what's, yes. like, what's so important about like the uprisings in the Middle East right now. It's like we can see something that wasn't showing up in news. So, mm-hmm. so I want to build on what both of you are saying in two ways. First of all, I think that like this like democratization of information and like the role misinformation plays in social media is a great argument for the humanities in general. If Like, I don't want to reduce education down to job skills, but if you're looking for like job skills, a really great thing that the humanities teaches is the evaluation of sources and like understanding the power of narrative and like mm-hmm. understanding like the roles, you know, like, like the roles like people play in like writing something like history, like capital H or like, you know, like critically reading textbooks and being like, hey, why are these, why are all the sources white men? Like, 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 doesn't that like skew how the, like the stories we tell about like how science was like, you know, built as a knowledge base. And secondly, and all of that I, is counters misinformation. Yeah. Like that's yeah, how you actually yeah. fight for mis- misinformation. It's not by shutting down platforms. It's by teaching people how to process things. Critically. Like too, like, like journalism, like, they, you know, like one example of misinformation that journalists propagate all the time that many people on Twitter like actively analyze is that police lie. Like they're considered a credible source. Like when I was a journalist, I was taught like, oh, you know, you don't publish anything without like checking with like the police department and like you get, you gotta get your information through this way. But like police also lie. Mm-hmm. And like social media has exposed just how badly they lie many times. And like, journalists just not all journalists of course but many journalists just like accept those narratives like we we know the government lies to us thanks to like what has happened with covid and like yes information changed as like people learned more but also there also sometimes people blatantly lied and still are lying or downplaying so like there's like like there's you know like what is deemed a credible source or a dominant narrative 
that isn't always that's not always the case and like you you can see this maybe to pivot to another topic i know is on at least some people's list you can see this with the midterm election this past week like Josh and I watched the ABC news coverage that night because apparently we make bad choices. But like one one thing I like and I could have missed it. I'm going to just like put a caveat on this and say I could have missed it because maybe they said something later. One thing I think was really missing from their coverage of places like Florida and North Carolina or just generally is that gerrymandering plays a big role in how like elections are determined in this country and mm-hmm. it will continue to play a yeah. more major role if like something is not done to protect like people's right to vote like gerrymandering has been a reality of my life my entire life in one way or another because i'm from the south like and you know like twitter like you'll see a tweet from someone sometimes me like every election that's like hey do not like you know wish like horrible things on people in red states like they're gerrymandered there's a big suppression of like people like being able to vote you know like felony voting right like like felony voting rights are like a huge like thing for example like there, there are a lot of reasons that like Southern states with like high percentages of like, you know, the population being black, like appear more red than they actually are. Yeah. So like, so, you know, like this is like something that like is talked about. Like I've seen quite a few articles about gerrymandering, but like ABC, mm-hmm. I didn't, I did not hear those words. Instead, they kept talking about like storylines and like mm-hmm. treating things as like horse races, which drives me like, okay, like. You know, like they, you know, to be fair, I should point out that CNN did cover that quite. They they did. I mean, it depends on the network. CNN was very much on top of this all night because now the difference is CNN CNN has more time to fill than ABC does. ABC is doesn't ABC is not doing wall to wall politics every night. They did it just for election night. Right. Which is why I say I'm not mm -hmm. saying that like Mm -hmm. other networks didn't cover it or there weren't other like, you Mm -hmm. know, things. But like, you know, like the stories get pulled and then like, you know, like. Like a lot of people were like, ah, did abortion really matter? It was probably the economy. And then like, you no, know, if you look no. at the results, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. it mattered a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like every like abortion measure also, on like, the ballot, like, you know, also, like also like abortion is also an economic issue. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It is. Everything like, like realistically, everything is an economic issue. Realistically, mm-hmm. like the idea that we talk about stuff like it fits into these neat little buckets. It's like, no, no. Like there were several measures, including one in Oregon, about basically like writing in the state constitution that like prison, like basically like the idea that like prison slavery is not like acceptable. Mm-hmm. And that was on the, I forget on the count of states, but that was on that five, or similar. Five, yeah, was on the on states. yeah, and it's like that's an economic issue. It's also a human rights issue. Like it's a lot of things. And it's like, I don't know, I just I feel like this year more than most years, like I always find the way that we talk about politics exhausting in this country. And I'm sure that mm-hmm. this is true in many countries. It's not just an American thing, but American politics, it what I know. And it's just like, <laughs> I'm exhausted, especially by watching like the more like politics wonky channels. Like you were saying, Hannah, that like it's not like some of these channels, like it sounds like a horse race. It's one of the reasons I didn't watch like election night politics is it's like, especially when it's stuff like abortion or like prison prisoners, prisoners rights or like other stuff where it's like this is not a contest like this is people's lives and it just drives me absolutely and I know that like people like journalists and things like that like know that and I know part of it is also this is like a big night of their year like I get that because like they they like eat you know eat sleep and breathe politics in a way that like most people don't it's always like weird fanfare around it always kind of Mm -hmm. drives me nuts I was actually in a bar on election night that happened to be 
also hosting an election celebration mm-hmm. like like or they were waiting for it to come in. I can't remember who the candidate was, but it was somebody that like it was like local office that like they were very likely to win. And I was actually kind of it was refreshing to see that like people were being celebratory. And like there was I saw a lot of like, you know, people congratulate each other for like a job well done. But everyone looked like even though they kind of knew they were going to win, it was like game face on mm-hmm. like, the actual work starts tomorrow. And I'm like, it was actually really nice to see. Mm-hmm. Especially because it's local politics. It's like these are, I mean, all the people in that room probably have way more influence over my daily life than people in Washington. Well, the thing that really gets me about some of the people who cover elections is like, they're so detached from it. Like they, they almost seem giddy about the idea of certain candidates <laughs> winning just because they're, it fits the storyline rather than like, do you do. have to though? Also, to, I, I wonder if you like kind of have to be that way in order to cover that stuff all the time. Well, I think it's, and that's kind of what I was going to, I think it's, there's, I think there's a couple of different levels, right? There are people who are going to be on these panels, pundit panels, who fundamentally firmly believe in the message, whatever the message is. And I mean, whether they're Democrat, Republican, there are people who are there because they are, you know, I am a former congressman or I am a longtime staffer in Republican staffer or whatever. Right. Like they're like, so those people are devoted to the message for good or for bad. Then there are people whose job it is to as close to as possibly as possible objectively report the news. They don't want to be Fox News. Tim Russert, who is a longtime Tim Russert was the guy who came up with the mm-hmm. concept of red states and blue states. He used to do host Meet the Press for many years and he would and he would do election night coverage because, again, I'm a big nerd. So I'd watch election night coverage all night. So in the 2000 election, Bush v. Gore, he sat there with his with this whiteboard scribbling out the numbers because they hadn't really invented those like big digital screens that the, that everybody stands in front of now. So Tim Russert mm-hmm. was just there with his whiteboard, which is now in the Smithsonian because fuck yes. But anyway, Tim Russert was this guy where he talked about like he talked in an interview. They're like, well, do you favor? We can't tell. Do you favor the Democrats or the Republicans? Like, you're, you know, do you just not say, how do you stay this objective? And Tim said, this is going to be really hard to say. And I don't want you to take it the wrong way. He goes, I have not voted in an election for 25 years. And people were like, how you care? He's like, I care a lot. I care so much. And he's like, I cannot be the guy that you see on television doing the completely down the middle. Here's where the numbers need to break for the Republicans to, versus the Democrats. If I have, he's like, if I have, if I allow myself to be a human and care about, about the races directly, even though I know they affect me, he's like, I can't do it. The only way I can stay so, so detached and do my job the way that you love seeing me do the job is if I treat it like it's like I'm just a sports analyst. And I was like, which honestly makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. But that's, but he's, but he was the weird human who was able to like, I, I'm not that like, I, I watch things and I'll watch, you know, I'll watch Fox news just to understand I'm on truth social for God's sake, because I can compartmentalize, but I can't not care. So it's like, I mean, it's one of the it's one of the things that I think is also really complicated about doing like activism and organizing. And like, I mean, it's exhausting. And mm-hmm. I am forever impressed by people who can basically do it as, as a career because like I like 
I am active when I can be, but like it is exhausting and I couldn't do it full time. Like the amount of and it's one of the reasons also like I am not like I don't think I could be a politician either. Like I have friends who work in local and state politics in Oregon and I'm like and I see what it does to them. Like it is I don't think people, especially for like individual staffers, like not like the fancy people you see on the news all the time. It is an incredibly emotionally difficult job if you care. Mm -hmm. And like and I think like if you're yeah, like a lot of my friends like they they are good at their job because they care so much about what's going on but it also like it it is a job that i could imagine could destroy you and i journalism is probably not that different yes it's like speak to that actually i quit journalism because i cared like i would by the end of college when i was writing the student paper i did not sleep because the news was always on and i'm not saying i covered it well all the time but like part of the reason why i left is i realized you know there's no such thing as objectivity in like it's a, a now i know it's a 19th century concept there's whole <laughs> books on that, that. Yeah, again. also like i think that like it i came to the conclusion that to live with myself and also like to tell the truth, I had to take a side because like, for example, my final year as editor of the paper, there was a amendment about abortion proposed that was on the ballot in Mississippi that wanted that said something along the lines of like life begins its conception, which would have all sorts of implications for like, not just like abortions, but, you know, reproductive health care in general for people. Mm -hmm. And as a human, as a woman, as someone who believes in bodily autonomy, as someone who cares about economic justice, who cares about health care being accessible for all people. I campaigned pretty hard in my free time with the people I knew to vote mm-hmm. against it. In fact, I wanted us to take an editorial stand against it, which we did not end up doing for various reasons I won't mm-hmm. get into. But like the news articles that other people wrote in an effort to tell both sides ended up interviewing people who like wanted this amendment who were telling things that were untrue. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, whenever you tell like the side of someone who is saying like, oh no, this won't happen happen but like the legal implications say that actually no no this actually will happen it's like spreading disinformation in another way so like they're you know but you know you're supposed to be objective as a journalist so like if you add in context of like hey (laughs) this person is wrong we are firmly taking the side Mm -hmm. of like the you know anti-amendment side to this especially in mississippi you are fighting a whole other battle at that Mm -hmm. point you know And like, this is true for loads of things. I don't even know what I would have done if I were running a newspaper, if Donald Trump was running either time, you know? So like I had to leave because I couldn't disconnect myself. And I, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, to tell the truth, I had to do a different thing. And like, there there are, you know, media publications that do that kind of work who like do like, like that, you know, like they're actively like politicians because they deserve it and are like what people would call like biased. But you know, like there, there is this like myth of like the objective journalist and it ate my soul and I couldn't handle it because I cared too much and it ate me and I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't doing well, which honestly, like when I got to grad school, I was like, ah, peace. I feel at peace now. So we've resolved nothing. I don't know. The world's been weird this week. We, we didn't even talk about Black Panther this week. And I, I saw that. Who saw it? Just curious. I have not yet. No. Okay. Just me. Let's see it because it helps me in the box office. Of me and my closest 200 acquaintances. I, I saw it once. I was supposed to see it twice because, but like the theater. We got to the theater today and they were like, oh, we canceled that showing. We'll refund your VIP A-list card. And I'm like, that's not a thing. It's just, it's fine. But like, you could have canceled it before I drove here. Oh, here. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I'm just what on opening weekend? What you told me? Yeah, like they canceled a showing on opening weekend. That's their wow, well, movie. Good. No, because their their IMAX 3D projector broke, and oh. that was the, and. But I'm like, why didn't you just run the regular IMAX copy? Yeah, I've seen it. I saw it once. Like I don't actually care. I just like I usually decide based on I would like to see my movie that I am interested in seeing at this particular time. What is showing at that time? So I saw it. I saw it in a mostly empty theater on Thursday and there's nobody around. It was great. And I saw it in IMAX. And then I was going to Steph and I were going to go see it today, Saturday, as we record. And it was just like the time that slot that we were both available was Happened a 3D show. IMAX 3D. And we're like, okay, that's fine. And then we got there and they're like, oh, we have to cancel that show because the projector's down. And I'm like, well, you could have told me that before I left yeah, home. Yeah, I, I can has other showing? Yeah. And, well, and they were, yeah, they were like, well, we can shift you to the, the four o'clock show has has space. And I'm like, I'm supposed to sit here for an hour and a half, but then like with previews and stuff, I'm not going to, no. And then, so, so, so yeah. Steph still hasn't seen it, but, but I have, so, and we'll probably talk about it. Thumbs down. It's good. It's not as good as the previous one. Here's my brief example, my brief review, and maybe we'll talk about it more on next week's show. But I will definitely be talking about it on Wisecrack Live this week, which is a YouTube show that I'm on sometimes. But the my my general review of it is thumbs up. I enjoyed it. It is not the first Black Panther movie. I'm trying to very vaguely not give spoilers away, but one might understand that Chadwick Boseman is not in it. I mean, he's there's a couple of shots of him, but they're not you know, they're obviously from the first movie. Right. I mean, this is not spoilers. He died. So he's not starring in this film. And. And no one else on the cast is the level of phenomenal actor that Chadwick Boseman was. Mm. They're good. They try their best. They're and it is it is a good enjoyable movie. This will not be getting Oscar nods. It was a it was an above average Marvel movie. There are parts that there are parts that you might cry if you get emotional. Hannah will absolutely cry at the <laughs> opening scene. At the opening scene, <laughs> like I'm watching it for a while for that very reason. <laughs> you'll watch it at home. You'll the opening scene. You'll go, oh yeah, Mav was right. It's heavy. There's oh, a I, lot of. I cried at the trailer. It's not a big like surprise. Mm-hmm. I'll cry at this film. It's fine. Right, right, right. And it's I mean. It's a movie, again, without spoilers, I can say the character of T'Challa is dead because Chadwick is dead. And they said, we are not recasting him. And that's what this is. And it is a movie about dealing with grief. It's about other things, too, that I won't explain without spoilers. There are other points to it, but it is very much a movie about dealing with grief and loss and what that means to people who survived Which- I think also just makes it a much more interesting because I haven't gone and seen a Marvel movie in theaters in quite a while because I just like I don't know it's just not something I go my way to do. I probably will go see this one because it's the game. You were trying to win. I'm trying to win the game, but also like it is. I feel like because of the context of Mm -hmm. Chadwick Boseman, it's. I mean, the first Black Panther was an atypical Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. This one, I think, just based on the circumstances, kind of also has to be. And it seems like they are trying to handle it well so there are some things in this which were clearly from the previous script where i watch it and i go okay i see what this was supposed to be this was supposed to be chadwick boseman dealing with this problem right and they rewrote the movie around his death and so there are a couple of awkward bits but also the way they handle his death is i would say the most respectful and also interesting way they possibly could have done it i like i and again i don't want to go too much into what we're going to talk about next week but the i was very impressed with the decisions they made to go okay here's the choice we're making and you find out 
pretty like you'll understand where they're going with it in the first three minutes of the film. And then I think you'll all be on board. You'll be like, okay, good for you. You know, like it is a, they, they handle it well. So that's what I can say without spoilers. It is worth seeing even at the risk of me losing the box office game. But like, if everybody goes to see black Panther, make sure next month you go and see avatar 10 times. Or we could all just <laughs> avoid the theaters. But can't we avoid the theaters after avatar? <laughs> I know we can't, Dad. <laughs> so anyway, we were nope. nothing. Yeah, we were nothing. <laughs> this was fun. I missed you guys so much because, like we, you said, we we haven't all been on the same show in a while, and you know, I Wayne's not here, but I was on a show with him last week. So <laughs> how we do? Yeah, Monica, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. That thing we talked a lot about because there's no <laughs> alternative at Monica Marvelous, and that is L O U X. And Katya. I mean, here mainly. <laughs> but if you want to read some open source shenanigans, I was recently published sometime over the summer, actually. I forget the exact date. If you never know that. In a co authored chapter in the collection using open educational resources to promote jo- social justice. And awesome. I got to be in a panel earlier this week, and there were a bunch of other cool projects that you should check out, like an open archive of female composers and like POC musicians to like diversify what is apparently a canon of mostly old dead white guys in the way that most canons are. So there's grubby stuff. So check that out. If the panel's um, publicly available, I will also share a link to that. But yeah. And Palindrome Hannah. I'm here. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, like the longer the show goes on, we're more like, but do I believe in the internet? I'm not sure. Other than math. And well, thanks. That's my, I, I literally, my job is to be an internet professor. <laughs> no, I know, but I feel like you, you're more at peace with being online. And I feel like that, at least that I am. Where yeah. I feel like the rest of, like, I have just, there are secrets anymore. I've like, I've, I've been, I've been on I've the internet. too long in the head social media CEOs, and I just don't want mm-hmm. to anymore. I've been, I've literally, I realized I've literally been on the internet since 1990. It's when I got my first public internet account. And I'm pretty sure that's before. You guys were all born. That is the year I was born, yeah. Mav. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. And it's like, uh, yeah, so, you know, there's no point anymore. I mean, whereas now, like, as soon as children are born, some of them have, like, their own Facebook accounts and email yeah. addresses, like, within weeks, well, sometimes was, even yeah. before they're born. So, really, you're behind that. I wasn't an adult. I, I was in school, but, like, that's when I got my first account. So, you know, but. Babies with anyway. social media accounts alarm me. That's a different episode. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places. Always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show all those same places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where you can find out what we're talking about next week. And I'm not sure. I think it's Black Panther and other movies. I think, I think we're going to talk about what happens when someone dies out of a role. So a Chadwick Boseman or a, a Carrie Fisher. It should be an interesting show. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that boosts the algorithm, makes us more popular, and really helps us out. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank my co-hosts for joining me. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.